Welcome to this episode of The Mistress Podcast. I'm your host, Lady Anna. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I am chatting with Miss Titania, a London-based shibari expert, also known as Japanese rope bondage, strap-on queen and creator of the Urban Chick Supremacy Cell. If you would like to support my podcast, please visit medicalmistress.co.uk forward slash podcast and join up as a podcast patron and get benefits. If you join up now, you can get early access to my unpublished episodes. If you upgrade to my higher tiers, you can get access to exclusive patron podcasts. Please see my Patreon for full details. Links are available throughout my website. On this episode of the Mistress Podcast. interesting how some I mean I know I know when I started off as a pro dom I mean like most brand new pro doms I had some clothes pegs and shoelaces and tea lights you know pretty much (laughs) and and wooden spoons Uh, and then I did feel really um, obliged expected to start getting in the kits the toys all of those things because I had so many inquiries what electrics do you have have you got this? Have you got that? Have you got the other? And do you know, I yeah, it does sound corny, but I absolutely agree with you. I my my best sessions were where I could just stop talking and just look at him mm-hmm. and just see his expectation, fear, enjoyment, apprehension, excitement, all of the, everything, and just reading it all going across his face in his eyes. And just just sit and then just look at him. And that is far more dominating than a toy. Yes, because, you know, you know that at that moment you can mould the emotions and the reactions depending on what you say or what you do. Yeah. And it's nothing to object. That said, strap-on is never far away and, of course, rope. I had only seen the strap-ons in probably very small porn photos of girl-on-girl action. When, you know, strap-ons were used was a woman using a strap-on on another woman because, of course, all that women want, lesbian, hetero, something else, they just want dick, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yes, I did want dick. I wanted to give dick. Session starts now. Welcome to my podcast, Miss Titania. How are you? I'm very well. Hi. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to do this interview, Anna. Well, my absolute pleasure. I had to do it with you. (laughs) How could I not? How long have we known each other? We have known each other since forever. I was already working as a pro-dom when you started. Um. Yeah, you know, for, I don't know, for the last 15 years, perhaps. Yeah, for a very long time. It must be. It must be 15 years. And even though I retired for those five years, we were still Facebook friends. So Mm -hmm. we've still been 
commenting on each other's posts and keeping in touch with each other. So you probably know more about me than anybody else in this lifestyle, actually. <laughs> I knew about me too. Um, <laughs> you know, I have made, I have been in the kinky scene for about 20 years. Yes, things going to be 20 years this year. I think it started around 2001. And uh, I've made some of my best, closest and oldest friends in the scene. We are friends like you, you know, the kink was what got us together. But then we became friends as people, as individuals. And that's happened with a number of people who are now very close and very good friends. That's really good. That's really, really nice. And of course, I can see your friends, and of course, I recognise them as well from old websites like IC. So, <laughs> remember informed yeah, you consent. Know, uh, you know, we met when everything happened in in forums. Yeah, it was a very different world, but that's because technology advances so fast. Yeah, yeah. Remember the forums, UKM, still are going. Mm. It's still going, but it's only got about six people on it. It's changed. It's changed. Mm -hmm. So tell the audience, what are you predominantly known for? What's your USP? What's what do people go to Mr. Tanya for? Uh, For a lot of things, because most people don't look at anything. They just try the luck and contact you or mistress. But uh, when people are specific, uh, probably my uh, most, uh, let's call it unique, a speciality is Japanese rope bondage, rope bondage in general, suspension and suspension bondage as in with rope suspension bondage and everything to do with women tying men up. Yeah, I, I've seen you do it. I've seen your films. I've seen your images on your website, but I did see you. Do you remember we met at that club in um, near Manchester? Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that's going back some. So I saw you suspending a guy, stringing him up, getting him prepared, stringing him up and suspending him. And what struck me with it is your absolute calmness. The fact that it was more like an art installation than anything else. But also, you're a really small, petite woman. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am five foot three. You know, when you get messages from guys saying, I want to see you, mistress, because I'm into Amazonian mistresses. I, like, I don't know where you heard that. I am five foot three. So now you know. <laughs> but but you can string up a 20 stone guy. Yeah. No problem. Sorry, interrupting you. No, go ahead. I said, you know, that's. I think that is one reason why there are not so many women doing this because they think that you need the strength when actually the rope does the rope the technique does everything for you because normally it's not only that we as mistresses do a lot of things to men we do that we do what we do in rubber in corsets in unpractical female apparel and high heels very often I, like many mistresses, the moment I can, I kick my heels off to carry on with the session. But uh, yes, I tie men up as a petite woman in very unpractical clothes. And it's because the rope and the technique that I'm always learning and I'm always trying to improve, the technique does everything. So that means that a petite woman on high heel, thigh high boots can tie big men up 
Yeah. It, it, do you know, you, when you were talking, it reminded me, you know, everybody says that Fred Astaire is the best dancer there is. And then somebody else will say, yes, but Ginger Rogers did everything backwards in a dress and in heels. That <laughs> makeup. Without <laughs> sweating. Without sweating as well. So, you know, not breaking into a sweat. And uh, so, yeah, what I wanted to say is that I think that maybe that's because there are not so many women who do it because there is this, also there is a lot of um, mystique around, you know, rope and um, again technique and you know how men can get very technical about things oh yeah and you know there is this in the scene in the kinky scene there are all these men who just walk into a venue with all the rope and their female partner who is normally half the size because they also say oh no you cannot tie uh, fat women up that's bollocks uh, you can't uh, you know, this thing that, yeah, you can tie them up as long as they are small. Um, so I think that's something that, again, many men, because there are many men who tie women up in scene, use as an excuse to tie women up, to tie younger, nimble, petite women up. Uh. And then I walk in there and I go, I tie men up. And I totally burst the myth. It's a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. Women right. can so they have this wonderful strategy which ensures that they get the youngest nimblest flexibleist uh, rope bunnies you know while being six feet tall or whatever i say no i cannot do that and i say yes of course you can you don't you don't do it because you don't want to <laughs> yeah there is a lot of sexism there we know there is a lot of sexism and uh, yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed time and time again. So yeah, I guess that are the things that uh, that is the um, speciality that I have been um, promoting a lot. Also because I enjoy tying people up a lot. Mm-hmm. So you know, obviously it's a. Uh, so I'm lucky that I really enjoy something that is. A less trodden speciality, especially, you know, for prodoms. There are more and more women doing rope. You know, there are groups like, uh, how do you call it, Hitching Beaches is a group of female riggers that's it's active all over Britain. Um, and that's very good. But professionally, there are not so many women who do it. And I think that, you know, the women who do rope bondage, I think that we have in very much the same prodoms forever, too. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. You um, perhaps when COVID has stopped, you should do workshops and teach women how to um, string up the heaviest, biggest guys just to prove that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to know so, how to do it. You know, the person, the other person has to be relaxed. I have, to, you know, having times. If you ask me, have you ever not been able to suspend somebody? Yes, that's happened, and the reason it happens is because the person is not relaxed and they don't trust. Okay, and that's happened actually with regular. Sometimes they are not in the mindset, and they are too tense. That's and you know, a, a man, a person, a human being is not a sack of potatoes. It's very funny, you know, they have to consent. I mean, not consent, of course, there is consent, you know, they have mm. to be mentally ready for it, for yeah. it to happen. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like trying to lift the boulder. Yeah. No, that's 
that that's very much with what I do as well. I don't like to discuss too much detail what I do because <clears throat> what I do is so um um I hesitate to use the word illegal, but it is illegal. But it's a similar thing. Um if they don't relax into it and go with it, I can't do it. That's right. Yeah. It does. I suppose that's why you and I, we both tend to do longer sessions, don't we? Yes. Yeah. I don't like doing anything less than two hours. Um, mm. Two to four hours. Anything more than four hours, I think, is just too much. So two to four hours is much better. I can't do I can't do what I do in an hour. There's just not enough time. I can just about do a I can just about stretch it with an hour and a half, but that's only with um, existing clients who just <laughs> almost <laughs> as soon as they walk through the door, they're in that space already. They've been waiting yeah. for it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I know that there isn't going to be any tension, any concern, any any part of the lizard brain saying, uh, you don't want to do this. They absolutely want to do it. So I can do it then. So, yeah, exactly the same. Very, very similar. Yeah, you know, I also think because, you know, we used, I used to have shorter sessions years ago. I think that, you know, the more not only well-known, but, you know, the more you come across in your website online as a mistress who is very experienced in BDSM in general, our specialities in particular, I think that we attract the people who prefer longer sessions because they're also experienced and they know what they want and they know that they need time to make it really work yeah I absolutely agree and you know whoever's listening to this whether it's somebody that's not gone to a session as a client or maybe uh, women who are new to domination is understanding that whatever you're doing now starting off with you probably won't be doing it in five or ten years time Mm-hmm. Your sessions will start getting longer. You'll specialise more in your favourite subjects rather than being a general practitioner of everything. And, and, and advice to any new up-and-coming dom would be specialise as soon as you possibly can do. And I think mm-hmm. any advice to any client is find the specialists who really get into your, your head with that particular interest. Yes, I agree. And also that's why, you know, I haven't deliberately um, said I only do longer sessions. I'm in London, I do a lot of things. But interestingly, you know, especially in the last, let's say, five, seven years when I've been, you know, more experienced uh, and probably that comes across. Yeah, you know, I attract the type of person who needs a longer session and they are always experienced uh, yeah. clients experienced subs or fetishists or robonies yeah 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 so tell us uh, mr tania how did you get started in this thing that we do well i mentioned the date before the year was 2001 and um i I think I got my first laptop and I felt for the first time I was on the internet on my own or not on a in a cafe. So I was at home and actually I started searching for porn because as you know, women don't look at porn. Okay. So I started looking for porn because I was I was in the privacy of my own uh, internet connection at home on, on dial-up, obviously. And uh, after you know 10 minutes looking at flesh, I thought this is very boring. How about sadomasochism 
that's something that sounds appealing. So I put it up on Google and uh, to cut a longer story short, two hours later, I have already found the London Manch because I am based in London. And I was already talking to people online on forums, where London forums where people were talking about meeting in real life and manches. And a few weeks later, I went to my first London Manch by myself. I was petrified. And I met people who were very, very friendly and really lovely and started going to clubs, started playing with people privately and in clubs. And sometime later, I started prodoming for other reasons. We can go into that later. But yeah, it was thanks to the wonders of the internet and my own curiosity. And because... You know, everything to that. I didn't even know that BDSM was a term. I found out that first night. I just discovered the world that I always wanted to find, but I didn't know it was there for me, waiting for me, and it was. So hang on a minute. <laughs> Let's just go back a bit. You got a laptop, you had your own connection, and the first thing you thought about was sadomasochism. Well, not the first thing straight away, but, you know, after having me in the studio, actually, I was very busy doing, I was studying, I was at college, and I was very busy, so I was doing my homework. I'm probably getting bored at some point. So it was in the first month that I go, got my first personal private internet connection. Yeah. yeah. And as I said, after half an hour looking at normal vanilla porn, I thought fetishism, sadomasochism, that's what I like to look at. And yeah, it was obviously, you know, it was very early days in the internet, but obviously the internet as we know was made for porn. And cats. (laughs) There was lots of fetish and there was lots of kink. And as I said, the best thing, there were real people in London who were organizing munches for people to meet in real life. And that was great. Brilliant. That's one of the good things about being in London. Everything's in London, isn't it? So um, are you kinky in personal relationships? Yes, I am. And also in the last few years, I've realised how important it is for me to have a partner who is submissive and how important it is for me to to um, to have a DS part of the relationship. Yeah. Before, you know, now that's now, before people start imagining things, for me, it's not a 24-7 thing. I, I'm a real person. I'm also real, but real. You know, I am a complex, multifaceted woman, and I like complex, multifaceted people, but my sexual form of expression is femdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very much like me as well. Very much like me. I, could, oh. I couldn't have a relationship with a guy that wouldn't accept that I'm the boss. Yeah, and I couldn't have a relationship with somebody who is vanilla and he has absolutely no interest in DS as a form of sexual expression. Mm, Yeah, I agree. Mm. So what made you decide to go pro? Right. um, As I said, when I discovered the kink scene I was studying, I was doing an MA in visual arts in one of those highfalutin art colleges in London, and I was still working in, I was still working as a 
chef in kitchens. I was working in kitchens, doing the kind of jobs to pay the rent. Uh, I was already in debt with the college because I have accepted a place at an art college as a way to try to, you know, improve my prospects, you know, going back to study. But I accepted the post and they asked me, how are you going to, you know, my tutor asked me, how are you going to pay for this? And I said, I don't know. So I started to just think, shit, how am I going? I really want to do this. So after a while, you know, um, I loved kink. I was really enjoying it. I had a partner who was kinky. I was learning a lot. And I could, again, because uh, my background is in the visual arts, I had the images, I had the photos because I've been taking kinky photos because, you know, I like expressing myself visually. So I had all these photos. I loved kink. I thought... I don't know, maybe I could try charging for this. And, you know, I try to get a few clients and see how it goes and try to, you know, pay for my studies while doing this, which I do because I love it. So imagine getting paid for this. Of course, my second thought was, God, you're an imposter. Nobody's going to take you seriously. Nobody, nobody's going to pay you money for this because of my imposter syndrome but uh, i designed a website in dreamweaver remember dreamweaver <gasps> i do <laughs> yeah i know and i just put a handful of photos that i've taken at college of myself in fetish gear of private photos i've taken with my then boyfriend and tried my luck and i thought that it would never happen but I know the next your next next question is going to be what was your first session like? Oh my god, it was terrible. <laughs> I was so terrified, thinking I am an imposter. He's going to demand his money back, but he was very polite and he didn't. And I'll be forever grateful to this guy who just left, seemed to be satisfied. I bet he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I did my best, and I was terrified. But uh, I just, I bit more than I could chew, I'm sure. But I just carried on trying to learn and trying to get the most fun, satisfaction and contentment out of it. And it just started from there. Because, you know, I, it's like, again, I, I used to cook before. It's the difference between being, knowing how to cook and running a kitchen in a restaurant is completely different things. Let's say that um, I knew my kink. I love doing it. I enjoyed being kinky in my private sex life, sexual life or erotic life. But becoming a prodom was a completely different new set of skills that I had to learn from scratch. Yeah, it, it's pretty scary, isn't it? It it's very very scary um and i think we started with very little in terms of material of 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 um you know i had the stuff that i used in my private life i only did i got some very good um advice from other doms who gave me advice at the beginning and again i will be forever grateful for them the first and best piece of advice that i like to give any potential prodom on anybody who is uh, thinking of starting first of all don't do anything 
that you don't feel comfortable doing. I started with a very limited set of things that I would do because I didn't feel comfortable doing a lot of things. One thing that I love doing is um, strap-on play. I love the strap-on. I love anal play, but I thought it was a bit too physical and too intimate to do with clients at first. So for a long time, I didn't do it, or for some time, until I started. Until, you know, one day I felt confident and I thought, why not? You know, a client, somebody contacted me and said, do you do a strap-on? And suddenly I thought, why not? Mm. And, but, you know, only when I felt comfortable. And this is, I would advise to anybody, do things that and when and if they feel comfortable. Yeah. And, and equally, when things don't feel comfortable anymore, just don't do it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Never feel obliged to do something just because you've been asked. Yeah. And, you know, feel very free to say no. And if somebody you're talking to somebody on the phone or on an email and you don't feel comfortable, not because they feel dodgy or dangerous, but just that you don't gel, mm. just say no. You know, don't have the pressure, the financial pressure, because that void will be feel by somebody else maybe not immediately maybe not straight away but you know try to um try to fill your session life with people that you uh, get on with yes yeah yeah that, that's brilliant can see it's brilliant advice I know I always said to myself as soon as I'm doing this for the money I'm going to have to stop because that's not going to, that's going to take away from myself. It's not going to add to me. Whereas when I was quite happy seeing my clients, meeting clients, talking to the clients, I was getting so much from them. Um, the money was just what made it all happen. Mm-hmm. Doing it for the money is the wrong reason to do it. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, that's, uh, that applies to, to absolutely any job. True. Yeah. True. Yeah, absolutely yeah, true. Yeah, like programming, uh, you know, anything to do with all these kind of very personal services or whatever or activities that we offer, uh, they are so, you know, they take a lot of mental energy. Mm, yeah. So, they are very psychologically charged and, you know, we, we, we put a lot in them. So if you're only doing it for the money, you're going to burn out. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So what's your favourite activity? It's hard to tell. It's uh, I've got two answers. One is it depends what I'm doing and with whom. Because sometimes, you know, things that they might not be like your first port of call for favourite activity is very enjoyable with somebody who is very much into it and takes you elsewhere so that's the good also the good thing about prodoming is that because we see so many different people uh, you discover so many sides to yourself but uh, things that say on a private level I would never do without uh, if I only did it privately and with somebody who is you know a personal partner strap-on and bondage and femdom you know it has to be a DS relationship there has to be a dynamic of Mm. domination and submission so with that domination and submission framework that or frame that for me is basic and essential things like a uh, yeah somebody who is into anal and strap on definitely bondage and uh, basically being 
submissive to women. Yeah, yeah. So what's your what's the best session you've had? I don't know, but it's normally sessions with people that I've seen a few times. It's called irregulars. They are longer sessions when there is no pressure and we can have time to develop. And it's normally with people that we have things in common outside of the studio. Yeah, I I wonder if there's an awful lot of people who think that a, a, a session with a pro dom is all about the activities and certainly for me I, I know this I know it's the same with you as well because we've known each other for such a long time often it's what's going on in your head it's a very cerebral activity in fact and sometimes it's just gelling with that person at that particular moment in time and it just it rather than draining you like a battery it actually you know session happens in the mind 70% you know when I start the session the moment we connect mentally the session is done all -hmm. you have to do is add the ingredients you know the activities rope um, medical you know just kissing your boots whatever the session is about but you know that's it that's anecdotal that's the activities once you without um mindset when you click with the other person and you're kind of mentally enmeshed with the other person mm-hmm. it's like you have got into each other's fantasy universe that of course it only exists in our heads or mostly in our heads and you know when you connect it's like telepathy then the session is done it's so powerful isn't it because it's it's almost as well as though you are the only two people in the world. Nothing else matters, yes. counts, is happening. Mm-hmm. It's like time has stood still and you're just in this. Yeah, it, it's... And that's a very, very good session. It's so much... Because it takes a lot of energy, but it also gives you a lot of energy back. Yeah, yeah, it's that feedback loop. It's that constant feedback yeah. loop, isn't it? There is so much more to a femdom session that any femdom porn can possibly possibly portray even femdom porn made by a femdom producer Mm. yeah and the femdom porn that's produced by the male producers is just tripe (laughs) yeah and it doesn't appeal to women because there isn't that you know the mindset element that is so important do you remember back in the old days of those forums when we're trying to explain to the men that just because dominating for us, female dominance is not necessarily sexual, genital, erotic in that, you know, genital, sexual way, doesn't mean that it's less satisfying. Yeah. And many of them, the good ones didn't understood and they were on the same page, but many didn't understand, oh, you know, you're not getting sexually gratified. What do you get out of it? And the sexually gratified, you realize that it just is the tip of the iceberg, and it's not even the tip of the iceberg that is needed. It's saying, you know, if that's what you want, if you would you want is a kinky wank, fine. Yeah. But that's not what kink is about for me. Yeah, that's not what femdom is for most of us. No. Femdom for them was a woman that was dressed up to their taste, doing to them what they wanted. Um, and the result at the end was that they they either had a hand job or they 
they masturbated themselves and that was it it's such a shallow way of looking at it and we yes I remember I remember typing away furiously trying to explain that no it's actually not about sex it's not about your genitals it's about what's going on in your head I have a I had a client who had um I can only describe it as a brain orgasm because he 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 came except there was no ejaculate nothing he came above his waist not below his waist and he thought he had ejaculated and he apologized to me I don't know why but he apologized to me oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry because he was completely out of control and I said sorry for what and he said I've I've like come in my pants I said no you haven't he says I have I have I said you haven't look and he looked down and he couldn't believe it because his brain had orgasmed he thought his genitals had and they hadn't and that was a massive breakthrough for him realizing that yeah the biggest sexual organ is the brain and that's not just a trite soundbite it absolutely is you've just got to tune in to yourself um your brain and understand your your like your deeper self not just your genitals Yes, it's all in the head. And, you know, this, uh, oh, if you're not enjoying it sexually, it was. I think it was used against us to prove that obviously we're only doing, if you're not doing it for the sex, that you must be doing it for the money only. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things used to say, oh, you know, you're just, you're just a commercial dom. Well, you should be grateful that those exist. Whatever we do, Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's why for me it's so important that also, you know, my partners are kinky like that because they, they it's such a big part of my sexuality. It's, it's what makes it worthwhile. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, you know, I am not into, you know, vanilla sex doesn't get to the deeper person. Mm. Deeper me. Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely understand that. It it really doesn't. It, it's quite boring. <laughs> I much prefer a plastic bag to be involved somehow. <laughs> yeah, I just prefer, you know, a fantasy. You know, some of my best, you know, personal um, experiences. You know, they have started on WhatsApp. You know, elaborating a scenario. You know, just uh, typing a fantasy. I'm taking it from there mm. and getting you know, stepping into the fantasy and stepping into this um, make-believe, if you wish, and just, uh, you know, yeah, just stepping out of the real world and out of the body too and getting into the mind. Yeah, yeah, I abs- yeah absolutely. My, you know, partner is, you know, we start on WhatsApp, a fantasy, and then when we meet, we are, we already have the first season. So, you know, when we start, we are very primed to step into that world and anything can happen. And again, then the activities are just um, props. Yes. Yes, that makes sense. I have clients who I know that the session starts when we put a date in the diary. Mm-hmm. that's when they start thinking so they're priming themselves and it's all it's obviously all in their brain they're priming themselves at that point um then I mean they're very respectful of my time but uh, I've got one particular client and sort of two days before on whatsapp he'll say oh I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that so I'll 
I'll throw him a couple of bones, you know, I'll say, oh, I'm planning on, I'm planning on what I'm going to do to you. I'm thinking about it. So it's, it just, it's that build up. So when he gets up the morning of the session, he, we're just further into that session. It's all, right. it's still happening. Yeah. It's, it's happening all the time. The session doesn't start when I say, right. Okay. The session's now going to start. The session starts when you make that booking, you're looking at that date in your calendar Again, so much, so much of it is cerebral. And like you say, by the time we actually get to the session time itself, those are the activities that just come to the conclusion of that session. And, you know, that for me, that works as a personal level, too, because, you know, I am with a real person and I like the real person. So, you know, I wouldn't like to live in this fantasy world. You know, first of all, nobody can live in that fantasy world 24-7. Mm. Second, Nobody wants to live in that fantasy world 24-7. We all want to step in and out. Most of it, you know, to, to enjoy it, just as, you know, you don't want to have a Christmas dinner every day of the year. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know, you need a salad in order to appreciate the other stuff. Yeah, that's, that is, that's very, 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 very true. So, um, okay, so um, what, We've gone through your favorite activity. What would be your favorite toy or piece of equipment? I mean, would it be a length of rope or would it be a strap on? Oh, God, I'm going to be very corny, but uh, it's the brain. It's the brain. <laughs> the brain makes everything possible. And especially, you know, my sub's mind to be able to control it and, and to, to foresee and to guess what they're going through and to guess what's going to happen and, you know, kind of to, to, to bend the mind to, to my mood and my will um, to the mood of the session that we are exploring. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how some, I mean, I know, I know when I started off as a pro dom, I mean, like most brand new pro doms, I had some clothes pegs and shoelaces and tea lights, you know, pretty much. <laughs> and, and, and wooden spoons. And wooden spoons. <laughs> pretty much anything you can get from uh, Wilkinson's or any old hardware shop. Uh, and then I did feel really, um, obliged expected to start getting in the kit the toys all of those things because I had so many inquiries what electrics do you have have you got this have you got that have you got the other and do you know I yeah it does sound corny but I absolutely agree with you I my, my best sessions were where I could just stop talking and just look at him mm -hmm. and just see his expectation fear enjoyment apprehension excitement all everything and just reading it all going across his face in his eyes and just just sit and then just look at him and that is far more dominating than a toy yes because you know you know that at that moment you can mold the emotions and the reactions depending on what you say or what you do yeah, yeah. there's nothing to object that said a strap on is never far away and of course road <laughs> I like that but the strap on is never far away <laughs> oh, you know one you know, something else in regards to how did you get into kink um you know when I discovered BDSM on the internet that it was more than you know 
images we have seen in fashion shoots of women dressed in black leather or whatever, or images that you see on television of women cracking whips in the dungeon. When I went beyond that, I realized that I had always had kinky thoughts that I didn't know I had. Yeah. You know, before I knew or I was aware that I was kinky, I had fantasized about fucking men with a strap-on for many, many years, since my early 20s. I had only seen strap-ons in probably very small porn photos of girl-on-girl action, when, you know, strap-ons were used, was a woman using a strap-on on another woman, because, of course, all that women want, lesbian, hetero something else they just want dick obviously <laughs> uh, but uh, yes I did want dick I wanted to give dick I wanted to you know the the fantasy of I said you know I saw I think it was a scene in an Italian porn VHS film that I saw in my early or mid-20s and again it was a woman fucking another woman with a strap on and I thought wow imagine doing that to a man yeah. I would love to have one of those and I would love to do that to a man. So yeah, that fantasy that became a fantasy and that was before I knew I was and, and now it's an absolute reality because do you, I mean you can't obviously do it. Absolutely <laughs> <must>. <laughs> I mean you can't do it now obviously with covid but you were doing lots of parties weren't you? Yes, I was doing lots of uh, strap on parties and boy on boy parties where popular yeah, hmm. yeah but you miss those days because there's so many men who don't identify as gay or even bi but they have this fetish for dicks especially for stroking touching sucking licking a mm. real dick so i facilitated that so i organized these parties in a space that was non-judgmental, safe and fun, where men could go and explore that. And I think it's also important for these men that it's all conducted by yes. women. Yes, that makes sense. That we facilitate and, and understand and put all our expertise. Well, I've seen... In them feeling comfortable. Yeah, I've seen gay porn. I quite enjoy watching gay porn, as gay as in male on male porn. But one thing that's... Yes, yes, I love boy on boy. Yeah. I love gay but porn. But one thing that's always struck me, mm. or whether it's just what I've seen, but everything that I've seen, it's always very aggressive. <laughs> very aggressive. Yeah? So yes. I understand that for a lot of guys that want to maybe try it that aggressive gay porn is going to frighten them to death so going to somebody like you um and what you can facilitate for them is going to be a lot friendlier nicer gentler mm. yes there is also in much gay porn there is also these dynamics where it has to be an older dom and a younger twink kind of um passive or you know, the person who is fucked with, again, it's another, it's, it's a yeah. stereotype. Yeah. I also have, you know, I have had gay, uh, no gay, sorry, by clients who say, you know, now in my 40s and in the gay scene, men expect me to be dominant. Oh, so, so naturally, yeah. naturally like, it's an, yeah, older equals yes. dominant, younger equals submissive. Uh, yes, that's right. You know, you fuck things. But once you 
get injured or late 30s, you have to identify as Tom. What happens if it's not what you enjoy? That I, I never realised that. I'm going to have to go and talk to all my gay friends about this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and give us feedback and tell us. But yeah, it apparently happens a lot. Right, well, we'll have a chat about that after we've done this because I've, I already know some stuff <laughs> <laughs> and you're the best person to share it with. Right. <laughs> Okay. What's the um so what's the funniest thing that's ever happened in session, either intentional or probably unintentional? I, I don't know because in the sessions, um I mean you know I am you know now we're having a lot of banter, but in my sessions there is banter too. I mean not banter in the way of you know, there is always humor. Sometimes it's dark humor at their expense. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I am always, when I start the session, the session gets me in a very good mood. Mm. So there is always banter. So I kind of said, what's the funniest thing? Um, I really don't know what to answer to that. I'm not going to say sessions are funny, but sessions are full of humor. Okay, so So I can't think of anything off the top of my head that sticks up. It's just normally they are quite joyful. So you've never dropped anybody on their head? Yes, I have. That's not funny, is it? (laughs) Well, I think it's quite funny, as long as they don't split the head open. Okay, I'll tell you, this happened at a party. It It was a fetish party where I was invited to, you know, to suspend people with rope. Um for a couple of hours and I ended up suspending people all night so the last person that night was a friend of mine a woman and I was tying her up and obviously I was tired but I didn't notice so the rope kind of asleep although you know they sleep slowly it's not you don't go bang so she went zoop so she slipped all the way to the floor minus four inches oh yeah it was a concrete floor (gasps) so she was up upside down or she was mostly horizontal but then she slipped you know upside down head first and the rope stopped literally four inches from the con- cold concrete floor and I was just looking thinking oh my god oh my god and she goes oh my god this is so much fun this is great how did you do this <laughs> Well, I didn't do it as in deliberately. The rope just slipped one foot enough to make your forehead reach one inches away from the, again, cold concrete floor. It's very funny now. It wasn't funny at all at the time. That's when I thought, okay, this is the last person that you tie up tonight. Obviously, it's 3 a.m. and you are tired. She was in heaven, she loved it. She said, oh, my God, I'm so excited. How did you do that? And it was very exciting, but not for that reason. So well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's never going to happen again. <laughs> Everybody enjoyed it very much. Wow. And, yeah, it didn't, you know, nothing bad happened. But, yeah, you have to be very careful. And especially not being tired. You, yeah. you know, don't be tired. Yeah, yeah. What's the um, What's the most unusual activity that you've ever been asked to do? Right, that's the session that never happened. <laughs> On my first, you know, couple of years as a prodom, when I was still testing the waters, because it takes a time, a long time, until you, you know, find your own feet. I had this um, 
you know, somebody wanted to do this role play session when this guy, he said, I'm going to arrive dressed as the king, as the Martian king of a, another planet. You're joking. Yeah. And you're going to be the Martian queen and you're going to dominate me and I'm going to adore you. And I thought, OK, so I agree. So he walks through my door dressed in this fantastic outfit. I've never seen anything like that, not even at fetish clubs. This PVC <laughs> Martian King Flash Gordon outfit, like you don't see, you only see on Star Trek or probably was very calm. So it was more like Flash Gordon. The movie. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. My jaw dropped to the floor. I didn't even know where to start. I just, the thing is, instead of bringing the suspension of disbelief, it broke all my, oh my fucking God, what's this? And I just <laughs> couldn't get into, he was very hummy. Obviously, you know, he had done that a lot of times before and he knew his role, like he knew his part and he was playing it like some kind of hummy Shakespearean again, he was like Flash Gordon, the movie. He was like, was it a, he was like um what was the name of the actor, the British actor with he was like a Brian uh, Brian Blessed. Yes, he was like that kind of acting. I was just standing there in my humble rubber cut suit, thinking, <laughs> what's this? And at 10 minutes, I had to burst his bubble and say it, I just can't get into this and I paid his money back and I just couldn't go through it now today I could but back then I was a bit wet behind the ears you were a bit green I was a bit green and I was like what the hell is this nothing about it that it was brilliant because now if there is something I know how to do is how to step into that through the threshold <laughs> but back then I hadn't done it enough so as I said I was just standing there in my humble rubber looking at this fantastic character from another planet obviously <laughs> <laughs> I know I am sorry I didn't I couldn't do it but I just couldn't again step through the threshold have you met any other London Doms who know who this guy is yes and they could do the session <laughs> but I just couldn't. You were you were keeping this completely, or I cannot do it. <laughs> That's really funny. We do, we don't get that in Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very London thing. Yeah, <laughs> so, it was from outer space. Well, my next question was going to be: What's the worst session you've ever had? Is that it? The verse, you know, that was the session where I felt in danger. Oh, really? That's serious. Only happened once. Nothing happened, but I could see that it could have flipped in a bad direction. And I think this ties in with the next question in the questionnaire. So I'll tell you the story. It was a session. I can't remember what the session was about. But what I remember is that after the client come his mood flipped 
and he got in a very bad mood and he started telling me that was terrible what we telling me that the session was terrible what we had done was terrible that the way I have done everything was terrible but most important kink is wrong basically uh, how they say projecting his his own guilt, his own guilt. On me, the, the the you know the Jezebel, the bad woman, and uh, yeah, I have heard from escorts that sometimes after clients come, they flip, and this happens. It was after he comes, and obviously you know all the build up and all the fantasy had been fulfilled, and his balls were empty when his guilt came back. Wow. And at some point, at a point, I thought, you know, this guy could be dangerous. It just fortunately, I had my my butler was there that day. He wasn't there. He was, you know, somewhere else in the in another room of the studio. Uh, but I was so glad that he was there that day. Nothing happened. So I deflected it and I said, look, you know, just you know, go to the shower now. I'll make a cup of tea and we can have a chat after you shower. And of course, you know, he did that and he came back after the shower. He was more polite, but again, he didn't want to talk. He didn't want to discuss everything. He just wanted to get the hell out of there. And, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Then he left. I closed the door and I went to the kitchen where my butler was there. He, he could hear everything. And I said, what was that? And he told me that he had heard similar stories from all the toms that he had worked with. God, that's that's worrying because <clears throat> then it, it does go through your mind. It it could have how nasty yeah. it can get, it, you know, potentially could get. Yeah, that, yes. that is pretty horrible. And you know, it wasn't about me deflating the situation. If he wanted to go nasty, he could have done that. Yeah, yeah. And and there really is not an awful lot you can do, is there, in those situations? No. You know, if you really get to the point in the mind where they think that, you know, they can become violent, they will. Mm. Yeah. It's only verbally violent, abusive. I just stood there listening and just said, you know, just go to the shower and we can have a conversation afterwards. And again, relieved that my butler was there. Yeah, yeah, thank That's God. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, right, so you're, I mean, you're from Spain, in case anybody hasn't recognised your accent. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been living in London for about 100 years. Um, yes. Do you ever get asked to session in your native language? I used to session in Spain many years ago. The last time was about 10 years ago. It's a very different world. It's a very different mood. I couldn't exactly describe it in words. It's very different. And uh, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Maybe it's because I wasn't settled there. So, you know, I used to session in some friends, you know, some Spanish dungeons. Hmm. So um, it was more, uh, yeah, I'll do the session, it's fine. It was more the curiosity that they had never been tied up with rope. You know, there was less um, connection. But this also is part to do with the fact that I wasn't based there. So obviously I hadn't found my church <laughs> and my faith. And also that, uh, yeah, uh, Spanish, I think that, you know, the way people understand fetish and kink, it's also mediated by culture. And yeah. Spain is a Catholic country. 
So nobody, I mean, no like English guy, for example, has ever asked you to do a session in Spanish to add an extra element of no idea what's going on. That's never happened. No, 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 no. they haven't. Oh, no, definitely. perhaps it's just me making assumptions then about about language. Um, <clears throat> so, what do you do to wind down after a session? Uh, depends. Uh, first of all, I normally like to be on my own rather than meeting people. Sometimes I really, really, really if a glass of wine, especially if it's in the evening, but uh, sometimes not others. Sometimes, you know, if it's an evening session, so I really like to have like a nice meal and wind down. Basically, I slipped up, I slipped back into my everyday world, which is being by myself, some Netflix or a book or a podcast. Um, Definitely not going back to any admin on anything to do with sessions, just something very, very different, you know, to be in touch with myself, to less solely to the everyday me. Yeah, grounding. It's grounding, mm-hmm. isn't it? Do you still skateboard? Grounding, yeah. Do you still skateboard? A, a little bit. I have for a while, but uh, longboarding, a little bit, yeah, and climbing, but I haven't done that for a while. Oh, yeah, and climbing as well. I forgot you used to do. Yeah, that's something I really miss because climbing walls are closed at the moment. That's something I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, skateboarding uh, more occasional, occasionally. But, yeah, I like keeping active. Yeah. <laughs> do you have another job? Have you, I mean, do you just PD or do you have, a, like, another job, something on the side, another income? Well, that's uh, the reason I started doing pro-doming because uh, I've uh, – I've been, I'm in, in my, let's call it in my civilian life, I'm a visual artist. And um, so uh, prodoming was, and you know, most artists need a day job to, to be able to, you know, to carry on with the practice because being a visual artist is very expensive. Um, so uh, for me, prodoming was a great way of uh, combining both. First of all, because prodoming is not a 40 hours a week kind of job. So it means that I can do other things apart from prodoming. And also because um, I dis- when I discovered the fetish scene, I discovered that um, conceptual ideas behind my work as an artist. As an artist, I have always been exploring, I've always explored a uh, concepts or ideas such as feminism, female identity, uh, performance and performativity. Um, that kind of thing that when I discovered the fetish, it was all there because it made me question things about my own gender and being a woman and being a dominant woman uh, makes you you know, also, it also gave me a lot of pointers for my um, ideas as a feminist. Also, doing sessions and filming and taking photos that you need for your website or for selling or, you know, making content was an extension of my, became an extension of my practice as a visual artist. I started using a, a both you know, the imagery in fetish in my own practice as an artist and also the concepts and the concerns 
I had as a visual artist into fetish. That also made my fetish political, which I'm sure is going to be another question. It <laughs> made me start looking up in a political way. But I think, you know, with the lovely friends I've made along the way, like you, you know, we have always been very political in saying, Look, people think that we are dominant for money, but submissive to men, wives in our personal life. And we rebel to that. We rebel to those uh, cliches. So I think, you know, we've always, you know, people like you, you know, we've always talked about those things, about men assuming that a woman cannot possibly be dominant in her private life because that's not what women have been taught to be yeah and uh, we have always been very rebellious about that i think you know why do people still believe those things yeah we've we yeah we have we've always questioned it we've always backed each other up and i've learned so much from you um i was gonna i mean yes i'm, I'm going to ask you a question about this and you know i am and this segues really neatly into it as well is when you created your membership site it wasn't like a membership site like most of our membership sites which was just providing femdom videos for paying customers yours was made to be like an art installation and in fact this was <laughs> this is what Atford found out wasn't it yeah uh, yeah the urban chick supremacy cell you know I didn't plan any of that it literally happened overnight one day one night, I think I was probably doing admin uh, for sessions, and and suddenly this image, this idea, the whole urban chick supremacy idea came to my head fully formed. It's like it had been bubbling there for years. And uh, both my practice as a video maker and visual artist uh, talking particular art language to the world of art and culture and theory, suddenly gelled perfectly with with uh, with my interest in fandom and also with my interest in making videos you know fandom content for the web i was already making videos for you know galleries so the medium was the same and uh, it just became very much the same thing and from then on i just couldn't separate my art practice from my uh, work as as a, as an online fandom content provider hmm. but it got you into trouble it got me into trouble with Advo. yeah yeah let's get into that uh, the because i was so focused on the let's call it conceptual side of it and so happy with it it never gave me much money but Advo nonetheless thought that i was dangerous like and uh, because for some reason there were rumbling a lot of fandom um, content website content providers because advot stands the acronym stands for the um, audio no advot the was it audio the online yeah, the audio oh, I completely forgot the authority wait for it A is for authority the authority for television on demand so basically there was this quango this offshoot of the government this quango in charge of um of monitoring um, all the what they call it television on demand uh, all the video 
offering British video, offering on-demand video on the web. And for them, what we were offering us, you know, femdom or fetish content providers was on an equal footing with a BBC iPlayer. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. So basically, you cannot show this, you cannot sell this obscenity because that goes well beyond what the BBC would show. And I say, yes, but I am not the BBC. <laughs> so uh, to cut a long story short, basically, they just wanted to censor adult content on the internet. And they thought by that by um, targeting websites like mine, you know, most femdom or fetish producers are quite small. You know, we, I am not king.com. I am not bondage.com. They went for the small producers like me because they thought that they were not, we were not going to fight back. Yeah. Because, you know, actually they had won a couple of cases against Playboy TV. And, you know, Playboy TV was big. And also one case against Tesco TV. Apparently there was such a thing as Tesco TV 14 years ago. And they won. So they thought, you know, if we have won against Playboy and Tesco, these people are very small fish. And been to them, I have been doing activism to protect people against uh, censorship and for quite a while, for a few years before that, with an organization, again, a very small organization, British organization called Backlash, where basically we protected adults on, on in court who had been accused of, um, of uh, things like extreme porn, people who have been accused of having extreme porn in the hard drives. So basically we protected people who were doing consensual stuff between yeah. adults where no harm was caused or not lasting damage. So by then I had quite a bit of experience in, in this kind of stuff. And also I knew people, as they say. So I was very lucky to have two or three lawyers who said, this is very unfair and we want to defend you. So I fought back with three lawyers telling Advot, you are wrong. You are just chucking crap at me to see what it sticks but this is all it's unlawful it's illegal you're just trying to shut uh, legal studios down and of course you know they didn't expect that we would be so well prepared legally mm -hmm. and it, again to cut it to cut this long story short we won yeah I'm, I'm i'm so glad it was such a relief i know when yeah. the, i remember i mean i was I, I had a membership site when all of this was going on and gradually um, our peers were being attacked. They were getting the letters. They were trying. They were having to register, pay a fee. They were taking their content down, and we very paying a fee. They just wanted to shut people down. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what they wanted. They wanted to shut us down. But but of all of the services out there, of all of the porn providers out there, we suddenly realised. Hang on a minute. Fem it's femdom. It's female femdom producers. It's the women. Yeah. They're looking for the women. And we thought, how, why is it that, why is it the women? By chance, because, you know, again, the, the Advot um, website, all that has, all that has disappeared from the, from the web. Why we didn't screen grab everything at the time, I don't know. We had other things to do. 
But uh, I imagine, you know, the numbers were like if in my year when I got um, uh, denounced or reported of, say, 85 studios they had reported, 82 were fandom. And that doesn't happen by chance. Yeah. Did we also realise as well that everybody that they were uh, getting hold of were the one thing that we all had in common was that we all had stores on clips for sale? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that at some point they went through, you know, they just come through clips for sale and they put a big troll and net and they grabbed us. Yeah. And also, you know, things, you know, they didn't, I mean, you know, the way they were defending, you know, because, you know, it took me two years. It was two years of back and forth. Oh. I got everything on email. Basically, they thought that my website or yours or our websites were terrible and they should not to be and they were dangerous because basically we were doing sexual activities that are absolutely fine when a man does it to a woman, but when a woman does it to a man, that was obscene and beyond the pale. You know, women being penetrated in every hole and being called a slut, fine. Men's orifices being violated, that was beyond the pale. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's absolutely what it was all about. Yeah, <clears throat> so, you know, our, our um, conversation with them, our debate with them was all about that. And also all about that. I told them, you know, at the time also, you know, my website had been presented at the Museum of Modern Art in Spain as a piece of contemporary Spanish feminist art. <laughs> in an exhibition that was called 40 Years of Spanish Feminist Art. And my website was there to be seen and visited on a major uh, museum in Spain as a as an example of a Spanish feminist art. So by them, I could tell, you know, the first thing we told Adbot is that, well, but this is an art project. And they say, well, you know, it can be an art project, but it can still be obscene. I say, yeah, I know. I'm not saying it's one thing or the other. I agree. But, uh, you know, um, took them some time to realize that they got more than they beat more than they could chew with us. Yes. Uh, but uh, the result was that we managed to shut down the legislation. They had to repeal the legislation. They tried again in 2014. They thought that they have learned from us how to do it better the next time. So they tried with a new legislation, a better improved legislation that that was I don't know, fetish people proof or something. And they tried in 2014 with a, a audiovisual legislation law. But mm. again, they had to repeal. Is that that was the time when they tried to illegalize images of female ejaculation? Remember that one? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, male ejaculation is fine. That's okay. But female ejaculation is obscene. Well, female ejaculation, as far as a lot of people are concerned, is urine. Mm. Yes, exactly. That's what they say. It is urine. Therefore, you know, women's pleasure is dirty. Men's pleasure is clean, wholesome fun for for the family. (laughs) They also criminalize images as extreme porn, face-sitting, because they say that somebody could be asphyxiated to death. Something mm. that has never happened ever. No. Nope. Not for lack of knowing. 
No, so it's it's okay for um, a female actor to deep throat and have um, several cocks shoved down her mouth to the point where she's gagging, she can barely breathe, she's retching. That's okay. But a woman cannot sit on a man's face for a few seconds and, and lift and sit I down and lift. And superior male life in danger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly, isn't it? So other than all of that, what are some of the biggest mis- misconceptions about your work? Mm, wow, that's a big, big question. Let me think. I haven't prepared that one. Well, I haven't prepared anything. Uh, I think that one of the biggest misconceptions about femdom is that women only do it for two things, for money or for revenge, which are cliches that we see in TV, movies a lot. You know, we see a lot of professional products on the telly. It's always attractive. It attracts a lot of um, viewers. And also, you know, someone like, you know, the woman, the dominant, sexually dominant woman, as a woman who is trying to exert some kind of revenge. She's an angry woman exerting revenge on specific man or in men in general general because of something that happened to her or that men did to her. It's never about it's because it brings us pleasure. Yeah. Or it's because something that expresses us at a personal, private, individual level. There is no much depiction of that. So I think that's the biggest misconception. We do it for money or for some kind of um monetary or petty reward petty reward or because of, yeah because we're some sort of tragic character um yeah. and and we need to be rescued don't we by the the detective or the the sergeant that's on the case <laughs> of course then a yeah, good man <clears throat> makes a good woman out of you <laughs> <Yeah>. silly boys <laughs> by the dick again do your parents um know about your job or did your parents know about your job well, by the time I started, I discovered fetish. My dad wasn't with us anymore, so he never knew. My mom, I never really had the chance. I didn't know how to explain to her. Well, I, I did tell what my mom did now. I told her on one of my visits to her in Spain, I remember telling her, I go to fetish clubs in London. And she said, her reply was, I loved it. She said, British men are like that, aren't they? <laughs> Not just British men. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my surviving, my mum is no more either. But uh, the rest of my family, the women in my family, they do know. And they're absolutely fine. My niece told me, uh, she said, oh, I always knew. (laughs) I said, good. (laughs) I don't have to explain much then. So, yeah. Actually, we were talking on WhatsApp the other day. And I was telling her, having done any session since March and she said yeah of course it's your job that's uh, of course it's out of the question by the way she's a nurse uh-huh. so we talk about how similar she's doing at the moment she's doing uh, she's doing rex- rectal is that colonos- colonoscopies yes yes so we're talking about that stuff and I was telling her you know she t- was telling me how much she enjoys doing colonoscopies <laughs> and I said I enjoy that stuff a lot too <laughs> <laughs> I think that she does like the idea of penetrating men in some way. <laughs> <laughs> so 
like a family interest. Family. <laughs> That's funny. What do you tell people that you do? Are you out and proud, or do you do you have like a cover? Uh, I am. Yes. Well, you know, I don't say what I do to everybody I meet. No, you won't tell the milkman. You know, my friends know because many of my friends come from the fetish scene anyway, and the others are open-minded. So, you know, I don't live in a, you know, I don't have a social circle where I need to hide this. Then again, it's not something that I tell people I've just met. Hmm. But normally say again, you know, that I'm a visual artist, that I make video. Mm-hmm, which is true. And that I make video, uh, digital content for the web and also for uh, galleries and museums. Cool, cool. What have you learned in your fetish life that you have successfully applied to your vanilla life? Where do I even start? (laughs) I think it's made me a better and more um, centre. I think it's made me a better person and also a more centre person. I think it has improved my life in so many ways. One important thing was, again, because my background is in the visual arts, um, I was the archetypal and practical dreamy artist. And Prodomin made me put my business and practical hat on from learning how taxes work to how to run a small a self-employed business. You know, I became self-employed. So uh, I had no idea how to do it. I started from zero just asking friends, how do I do this? And that includes the you know, the self-employed part of it. So it's it's helped me develop my practical side, which is very, very good for real life and the real world. And it's also been very helpful for my art side because it means that I don't I don't get taken for a ride by art galleries. Oh, that's use that's useful. Does it help because I found it helped me an awful lot with confidence. Have you found the same? Well, yeah, and confidence, yes. Mm. Yeah. Would you have done anything differently? Uh, I would try to procrastinate less and to do things a bit faster because, you know, it it took me so long to get off my feet and say, really, you know, now you have to be a practical person just because you like kink and let's say you know how to do kink and you get satisfaction from it doesn't mean that uh, you know that is again it's like knowing how to cook now you have to run the rest whole restaurant by yourself so yeah I wish I had been less hesitant I think it's got to that you said with confidence yeah yeah you know, confidence is something that took me. I mean, you know, when I was in session, I was from the beginning, apart from, you know, the very first sessions were like, oh, my God, my palm is on my hand now. <laughs> I think about it. But, you know, again, you learn. But, you know, once I started being confident in session, I thought, OK, now you have to be confident in the, pra- on the practical side of this. And forget that because you are a creative person, you are not a business person. By the way, I'm not a business person, but skills can be learned. I know, you know, that's something I have learned that maybe you are not, let's say, naturally good at something, but more often than not, if you apply yourself or if you ask the right people to help you, you can learn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also YouTube tutorials. 
for everything. Yes, yes, absolutely. So when do you think you're going to hang up your, your rope for the very last time? Hopefully never, because even if it's on a personal level, I don't want to stop doing it. Again, it's a personal thing. If I have the partner, it's going to be kinky, so there's going to be kink. But as a pro-dom, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, now with COVID, I have no idea when we're going to be able to, to offer sessions face-to-face again. I have no idea when they're going to happen. Mm. And that is a concern. It's also it's going to be a very different world. I think that many things are going to change. At all, it's going to be exactly the same. But uh, so, you know, I don't know how that's going to happen. But I can't wait to, you know, get my whip for you know, to open the studio for sessions again. I don't want to stop. I remember when I was starting thinking, how long can I do this for? When are people going to stop wanting to session with me? And the answer is never. One thing I've learned, and I think that is also important for, especially for prodoms who start, or especially women who are starting, is not about being young and pretty. It's not about knowing all the kink. It's not about being a conventional idea of femininity, a conventional idea of what a dominant woman is. It's about, I hate the word, it's about being authentic. If you are authentic, you will come across and you will find your um, your um, your faithful. Yeah. And- matter if you are 30 60 I don't know 70 I am very confident again women listen that age is just a number yes yes absolutely and I suppose also as well is it's not a case of when will we retire you know is is there a particular age that prodom should retire by but also <laughs> I mean submissive men our clients they're, mm-hmm. they're submissive until the day they die so uh, as as long as they can get to our studios or our clinics, then we're there, aren't we? You know, and, and, and men are looking for so many different types of women. You know, something else that I also did from the start is that, you know, I've always been very much into kind of indie scenes. You know, I've never been, let's call it a conventional looking woman or with a conventional lifestyle also more into more indie subcultures type of thing and I thought you know that's the woman you are that's the dominant you are and that is the dominant that you are offering um, online as well I think Mm -hmm. that you know also we can take bring our own personalities into the commercial studio will have a longer shelf life yes yeah 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 be genuine be authentic and we'll be here forever (laughs) <laughs> you know for as long as you want so how can sorry let me, let me okay. say this i think that there is um there is uh you know you put it out there and there is always somebody who is looking for whatever it is that you're offering trying to be all the things all the doms and all the kings to the widest appeal is exhausting and it only works in the short term maybe you know you want to make a lot of money in two years or something like that okay do it but uh, if you want to be more of a and I think that you you and I are more of we are more of a distance runners than sprint runners in this yes. and I am it's 
terms of prodoming, I am a distance, a long distance runner. I am going slowly at my own pace. So I prefer to have a smaller pool of subs and clients and fans who like the dome that I am, which is quite a specific. Yes than trying to have a wider appeal. Being on the first page of Google, it's not good news for me because you get you know, a lot of time wasters, lots of people who don't get you at all. It's very exhausting. So uh, yeah, the more specific you are and the more true to yourself, it's, uh, it's you safe, it's a very way, it's very energy savvy. Yeah. And um, that's when you become a long distance runner. Yeah. Yeah. I quite agree. I I see new doms um, coming out and I, I, I don't want to criticize them at all. If anything, it's business advice is try not to be a general practitioner. Try not to do everything. And as you said, you can't do everything for everybody. It's the wrong thing to do. You'll burn out quicker. You'll be unhappy. Uh, the best thing to do is. Yes, try different things, but stick true to yourself, true to what you genuinely enjoy doing yourself, and you will get the clients you deserve. They will come to you because you have decided that this, go from, but BDSM, it's such a broad church, isn't it? But if you can narrow that down into your niche, even if it's just one or two things, just narrow it down to what you absolutely love doing and that you'd quite happily do day in, day out. And you will get the clients that you deserve. And those clients will stay with you for years, decades. Yes. I say, yeah, that's the long distance. That's long. And and that is actually good business. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are very few doms who have been doing it for as long as you and I. We're just a handful. (laughs) True. You know, they read these articles about, uh, oh, she wrote a book because uh, she was a prodom for two years. I think two years, that's when everybody hangs the whip. Is Two years is most people's, again, I'm not criticizing it because everybody does it for different reasons. If you want to do it, don't think that most people don't say, I'm going to do this for two years. But I think that for most people, they have had enough and moved on to other things in two to four years maximum. And I think I'm being generous with saying four years. And after that, there are the women who begin to stay. Yeah. And definitely mm. those of us that stay, we, we are doing very specific things. And I think that's as well, you know, that's why we all get on so well. There's a group of us who've known each other all this time. We all do extremely different things. So we've got no issue with... Um, Uh, recommending each other promoting each other retweeting our tweets because none of us are competition to each other we're mature enough ugly enough (laughs) we've been doing this long enough to know that there is no competition if you're true to yourself because there isn't anybody else apart from you yeah that's absolutely right yeah also though because um uh, you know this COVID, it's, it's it's you know no sessioning. It's uh, it's it's tough. It's very tough. I miss it a lot. Uh, so yeah, I can't. You know, no, it's because you know you have asked me when do you or do you have any plans of hanging your whips before COVID? I would have thought yeah, there will be one day when I don't want to do it anymore. But now that I'm not doing it, I think I don't think there will be a time when I don't want to do it anymore. Even if I am only keep two or three regulars mm. that I see once a month. Yep. 
I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's almost like I also I almost feel as though when I'm eighty, I'll still have a couple that'll still see me every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, while I can, and because I've invested, you know, I've, I've invested the money that I've earned into property. I only really, even now, I only need to have probably four clients a month. That's all mm-hmm. I need. So that means I can be extremely picky and that means I'm happier. Yes. Uh, one thing that, uh, you know, for me, that thing, one thing that was a complete, sounds very obvious, is a, is a game changer is when I took an um, SEO seriously and I defied, decided to use SEO to trim down my website's uh, information. Yeah that is giving out onto, you know, that is feeding Google to say, you know, this is exactly who I am. Yeah. And then the clients who were looking for me, I'm not saying looking for me as an individual, but, you know, the type of dom that I am found me. Yeah. And, you know, when I started, uh, you know, learning SEO and in that way um, promoting myself for Google much more, accurately and I said I've never been on the first page of Google and I don't want to I was I was where my best clients could find me where my let's call it ideal subs could find me yeah Yeah. and that was also such a game changer because then you know I didn't have to um I didn't have to go through all those emails of people that for a lot of reasons were just not for me (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I prefer to see less clients again. Most of the sessions I was doing until until the pestilence haters were less sessions but longer. And that's so much better. Much better. It's much healthier for you. So how do people find you? What's the best way of finding you? They can find me on Twitter. First of all, you can just Google up Miss Titania with a Y. And uh, you'll find me everywhere. I mean, everywhere. My website is there. Twitter is there. And my links to wherever to find me more specifically are probably on Twitter. Great. Okay. Well, and if you talk to me on Twitter, I might even reply. (laughs) (laughs) If you're polite. Well, thank you so much for coming for this chat. I've really enjoyed it. I've always, I've always enjoyed your company, whether even if we just type into each other on Slack or something, I've always enjoyed your company. Thank you so much for coming on. I think you're an incredibly, incredibly interesting woman. I think you should write a book about your life. I really do. I keep telling you on Facebook, don't I? For God's sake. Writing books is boring. Writing books is boring. <laughs> I prefer to see. That's why I prefer to make video. I love making video. I love the editing part of it. I love everything from setting up the lights to, to the post-production. But writing is so boring. But I thought you used to write. You used to write for a Spanish travel magazine. Yes, but it was very boring. I felt it. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right. Yeah, I wrote for a few major Spanish newspapers, but uh, yeah, I found it excruciating. Oh, I, I love it. I love writing. What about like a video diary then, or something that you can put together? Yeah, I don't know. I'll yeah, think about got it. So- I'm not going to stop filming. Will you film? That's a video diary. Film, film it because I think you've got incredibly interesting life, incredibly interesting person. So I'll take the word for it because you always have very good ideas. And you know, thank you so much for inviting me to come to the podcast. I think it's a 
great idea and I'm really really excited to be to be part of it oh thank you so much thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for listening feel free to contact me via medicalmistress.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can leave me a voice message and read my blog mistress musings you can also subscribe to the podcast on this page using the rss feed as well as your favorite podcast platform to ensure that you never miss out on any future episodes If you would like to support my podcast, you can go to my Patreon page and see my patron benefits. Top tier patrons also get access to my Pillow Talk episodes. And I'm very pleased to announce as well that I shall be doing some mini episodes all about me and how I started in prodoming and some tales from the clinic. Many thanks to everyone who has supported me so far. Thank you and have a good night.